0: dfs predators special edition my name is chris dell you can find me on twitter at mad journalist that's M A D D journalist with two d's joined by my special dfs co-host mr andrew d aka andrew duhan you can find him on twitter at wary actuary that's w-a-r-y actuary on twitter we're gonna be breaking down our favorite tournament plays for the week seven main slate specifically referring to DraftKings. And talking about guys who we think are the best leverage plays, the best value plays when it comes to ownership projections and salaries. And how can we fit the highest ceiling into our lineups while keeping things correlated and maximizing the most out of our lineups to try to win and win big this weekend. So without further ado, Andrew, we're going to go position by position, just like we did last week. The ownership projections that we're going to be referring to are from Establish the Run if you're not familiar with them, go to establishtherun.com. They have great DFS content from top to bottom. A lot of great guys in the industry that are covering content over there. But without further ado, Andrew, I'm going to start off at quarterback here. We're going to talk about our our favorite tournament plays again. And, you know, when you start off at the top, obviously Patrick Mahomes. And surprisingly, he's being, pro- being projected for less than 10% ownership. So not super low owned, but still modest overall compared to the chalkiest guys on the slate here, um, you know, who do you like at quarterback, whether it's talking about Patrick Mahomes, or are you looking at more mobile quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, like Jalen Hurts, who are actually the two highest projected own quarterbacks on the slate for this weekend? What are you thinking about for quarterback this week for week seven main slate?
1: So for me, it's surprising that Mahomes is less than 10% owned, just given how high the over under is on that game. So that's definitely a play to consider a little bit more on the expensive side at 8,400 right now. But nevertheless, you know, being less than 10% owned in a tournament uh, play, that, that's definitely a good one to keep in mind. My favorite play for QB, which is this uh, QB is also less than 10% owned, is Matthew Stafford. The reason why I like him this week is he's going up against his former team, the Detroit Lions, and I think that Sean McVay will sort of uh, design a game plan to let Stafford uh, embellish his stats a little bit on his former team, and I could see that game sort of getting a little bit blown out of proportion as well. Now, the over-under on that game is lower than the KC Tennessee game, but I think the Rams are still going to put up their offensive numbers against a weaker Lions team. So I like Stafford there. I think there's a revenge factor, and I think the game script will be designed for him to specifically get a lot of passing touchdowns in that game.
0: Yeah, I mean, Matthew Stafford's a guy Sleepy and I talked about pretty extensively on our Week 7 Money Picks podcast. That's our player props podcast where we go game by game. And there's already a couple of player props that I'm on for this week that involve Matthew Stafford. I know sleepy liked his over on passing yards personally for me in our private betting subscriber discord for bettingpredators.com, I gave out props for Matthew Stafford over 23 and a half completions, which was even money when we gave out about 24 hours ago. And then also I believe it was plus one Oh five for over two and a half passing touchdowns. I think this is a game, like you said, where, it's not just the narrative of Matthew Stafford revenge game. Uh, someone brought up an interesting point where it, it isn't really a revenge game for Stafford. Like he left on good terms in Detroit. Like this is technically really a revenge game for Jared Goff because Sean McVay and the Rams kind of dumped him to the side of the road. You know, what what it, what it is, is, is a prove it game for Sean McVay. Sean McVay wound up investing heavily in bringing Matthew Stafford into L.A., And really closing the door on what Goff could have been as a former number one pick. And I think that McVay calling the shots, calling the plays in this game, he's going to make it a point to feature Matthew Stafford and to show why he was worth the investment for a Super Bowl contending team like the Rams want to be this season. So I I do like that play a lot, especially when you look to stack him with a guy, maybe, you know, obviously Cooper Cup's going to be one of the chalkier plays on the slate, but. I mean, Robert Woods is coming in at very low projected ownership as well. He's coming off a down game where I believe he only had two catches, scored a touchdown. So Mm -hmm. I think people are going to look at the targets for Robert Woods and they're not going to be too excited. But I think that's a good stacking partner for a Matthew Stafford, you know, right under 10 percent projected ownership is Robert Woods. So not too crazy. I think enough to where you can get a little contrarian and pivot off the chalk of Cooper Cup. But for me one of my favorite tournament plays and I'm usually a guy where I love playing the rushing quarterbacks Andrew but you know you have Jalen Hurts one of my favorite quarterbacks overall in the league for fantasy he's right there next to Lamar Jackson at 15% ownership so I'm like man like I don't want to play the highest on quarterback on the slate maybe I'll throw a lineup with Hurts in there but I I think one quarterback that I actually do want to take advantage of that goes against some of my internal biases here is Tom Brady and if you look at the overall projections For Tom Brady, he actually has one of the highest ceilings on the slate and facing a Bears team where the Bucs are also implied for a lot of points here. And I think they're going to be able to throw all over the Bears in a revenge game for the Bucs. This is the Bears team that embarrassed them last year in a primetime game. We already saw players from the Buccaneers after they won in week six, come out and talk publicly about looking forward to the Bears game in week seven. So I think Tom Brady coming in right now, at uh, projected four percent ownership now that we have the news of antonio brown out you know you you have a uh-huh. you know a, min, a bare minimum salary guy in tyler johnson who's going to fill in on three wide receiver sets for the most pass happy team in the nfl so i i think that that's one place that i really want to look in terms of stacking guys you know you take a three thousand dollar guy in tyler johnson then you take tom brady you want to choose to uh to pair him with chris godwin who is starting to come in at high ownership, you could also look to pivot off Godwin to Mike Evans. So I think Brady, to me, and looking to bring it back on the other side with a guy like an Allen Robinson or a Darnell Mooney, uh, that's a game where I think is going to be very low-owned but still has a lot of potential from the Buccaneers' uh, side of things overall. So that's one of my favorite tournament plays on the slate. I, I would say my second favorite one would be Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's going up against... You know, you could say Washington right now has the worst secondary in the entire league. And Aaron Rodgers is coming in at home at one and a half projected ownership percentage. And he has the ceiling where he could throw for four or five touchdowns in the game, just like Tom Brady can. So, you know, Devontae Adams coming off a down game, his salary is so high to where, you know, his ownership will be kept in check just because of his salary at 8900 But I think the ceiling is absolutely there if you wanted to stack Rodgers and Adams, bring it back with McLaurin, another very explosive player who's looking to be probably more low-owned than usual coming off a down game in week six. So I, I think those are two like traditional pocket passer type of quarterbacks. They might not be the sexiest plays on the slate, but they've shown that upside time and time again, and the matchups to me are there uh, to exploit. So those are my two favorite tournament plays for week seven. Obviously, Mahomes, you know, th- that environment, like you said, Andrew, is like the, the point total there is massive. And, you know, stacking Mahomes with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, it's so expensive. But if you're playing in small field GPPs, you know, it's worth spending the money because that double stack is going to be very low owned with a massive ceiling. And you can get around not having to have like the ultimate Millie Maker type of winning lineup to get away with playing a Chiefs double stack with those three guys. So that's my overall thoughts at quarterback. Andrew, how about running back? Let's move on to there. um. What are some plays overall that you're, I mean, we got a ton of running backs that are not going to be on the main slate for this week. And Alvin Kamara is playing in prime time. You know, you have the chargers, you have the bills, you have the Cowboys all on by, you know, Derrick Henry obviously is going to stick out the the most overall. Um, You got guys like Daryl Henderson, Leonard Fournette, Uh, who are some of the guys that you think are the best value on the slate, highest ceiling, you know, best ownership projections that you're looking to take advantage uh, of for week seven.
1: Yeah, so one of my favorite plays this week is going to be Cordero Patterson for the Atlanta Falcons. And he's going up against Miami, who has been giving up a ton of touchdowns to running backs. So you could get him for 6300 right now on DraftKings, and he's owned in less than 10% of the lineups as of right now. I think that's a really good play there, even though it's a, the uh, salary is a little bit more on the expensive side. Another play to monitor, and I would only do this if the starting running back is ruled out, is J.D. McKissick for the Washington football team. If Antonio Gibson is ruled out, I think McKissick is a very good value play. As of right now, he costs only 5000 bucks and is owned in, I think, 1.5% of lineups. So if Gibson's out, I could see his stock going up higher than what, uh, than 1.5%, but he's a PPR machine when, whenever, if he's getting a majority of the snaps there, he's going to get plenty of targets, plenty of checkdowns from, uh, Taylor Heineke. So that could be a pretty good value play that people might forget about and might not want to play against a team like green Bay. So at 5,000 bucks, you could do a lot worse than JD McKissick.
0: Yeah, you know I, I like the play of McKissick and you to be honest Andrew, I think I like it more if Gibson plays cuz that's going to keep McKissick's ownership projection in check overall. Right now mm-hmm. Gibson's coming out coming out as like sub 1% owned on this slate. And it's for good reason. The guy's playing with a stress fracture in his shin. He had an MRI last Monday, left the game multiple times in week 6 due to injury, but surprisingly he's logged multiple consecutive limited practices this past week and that usually indicates that a guy is going to wind up suiting up on sunday they say it's more of just a, t- a pain tolerance thing for him to this point and, and the matchup for washington is halfway decent in terms of their run blocking against the packers run defense but obviously the worry for us is like hey look The Packers are nine-point home favorites for a reason. It's a 49-point total, so Green Bay projected for 29 points. Washington projected for 20. Uh, But like you said, McKissick's coming off double-digit targets. I mentioned to Sleepy on our Money Picks podcast talking about player props that I wouldn't be surprised to see McKissick lead the team in targets again with double-digit targets this week. Terry McLaurin's been listed as questionable ever since last week with a hamstring injury. He looked solid against the Chiefs. I I think his down game was really – more of a product of Taylor Heineke playing subpar than it was of McLaurin not being 100%. So I do like JD McKissick in that role. If the Washington football team is going to be playing from behind, and then you have guys like uh, McLaurin and Gibson who are, who, have, who have the questionable tag on them all week, then you're talking about a guy who gives you a nice ceiling and a full PPR scoring format like DraftKings is. So I like the call there. Um, for me, when looking at just lower-owned guys in general, I'll start there. For me, sub-10% ownership. I, I think that I agree with you on Cordell Patterson. I do like him a lot. He's in he's in my kind of top five running backs for the week to try to have those leverage plays. But I also do like Joe Mixon at 8.5% projected ownership right now. I like the over on his rushing yards for this week, 565 Every single game that he's played healthy this year – Uh, There was the one game against the Packers where he was coming in, hobbled with an ankle injury, split snaps with P Ryan, had a down game. But every other game he's played, he's had at least 67 rushing yards. And and he's projected for about 70, 75 rushing yards in this game. So I do like the prop overall. And I think that you know he could have his way against a Ravens team that hasn't really been all that stout against the run this year. I know they had the big game against the Chargers in week six, but that was more of an anomaly compared to what the Ravens defense has done Throughout the course of the season, and if Mixon's healthy and he's getting a full workload, you're talking about 20 plus carries potentially, maybe four or five targets to boot, uh, some red zone touches, some goal line touches. So I, I think for me, that's it's that that's a game where I think it's not going to catch much ownership. 46 and a half point total. People look at the Ravens as being the defensive running game, grinded out type of team, but they're down another running back this week in Latavius Murray. Like they might just have to drop back and throw more than usual if the Bengals can push them offensively. So Joe Mixon, to me, I think is a great value for the amount of usage or volume he might see in this game. And I think on the flip side, man, like looking at that Falcons and Miami Dolphins game, like you you mentioned about the Dolphins giving up the rushing touchdowns, Andrew. Uh, you know, it's not, again, it's, it's not a sexy play, but the touches are there and the upside could be there too with Mike Davis at 6.5% ownership projected right now. Uh, Mike Davis, in every single game he's played this year, he's had 15-plus touches in every game. I know it hasn't been that pretty, but, man, like the the consistent usage is there. He's playing between 60 to 75% of the snaps in every single week. And Cordero Patterson, you could he could see more time at wide receiver in this game where, you know, the Dolphins are expected to have back Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Those guys could be lined up with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts, and we could see the Cordero Patterson show – uh, as a wide receiver, as opposed to more as a running back. So I like both of those guys there. I think if you're playing in those small field type of tournaments, man, like you might be able to play both of those guys in a lineup together. I don't think that would be the craziest thing in the world to do, You, you know, where you could potentially soak up almost all the touchdowns that the Falcons score in a certain, if that certain type of game script winds up playing out. And I'm expecting some points from both these teams. You know, we're talking about a total right here of what, 47 and a half, which I, you know, I would lean towards the over a little bit as of right now at Miami, but those are some of my favorite plays overall. And then I think when you look at like the super bottom of, of, of the league right now, in, in terms of the ownership projections, you know, JD McKissick, as we talked about Khalil Herbert right now projected for 4.1%. No one's going to play Herbert, but Damien Williams is not coming back this week. Montgomery's not there. You know, Herbert's a guy where if the bears try to just grind this out and really try to limit the exposure of Justin Fields with his dropbacks against this pass rush of the bucks, like, you know Herbert could get work in the passing game, and he could see another fifteen to twenty plus carries and Hey, man, all you need is like one or two goal line rushes for a touchdown, even if it's an ugly blowout type of game, and Herbert, with his volume alone, could get you there at a really cheap price tag. so I think Khalil Herbert is all you know he's obviously more of a cash game play just in terms of him having a floor against a really tough run defense, but he's the only running back getting any type of action, running routes, getting touches, getting carries. Uh, I do think there's some sneaky upside for him helping you save some salary, uh, you know, this week at at his position too. So those are some of my favorite plays overall. And then, and then you got to throw in some chalk, whether it's Derrick Henry or Daryl Henderson. To me, those are the top two guys that stand out the most, that you want to take one of those chalky running backs with a huge ceiling. Uh, and the, the next couple guys I would list next to them would be Leonard Fournette. I mean, Chuba Hubbard, Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Swift, like those are to me the other guys that are in play uh, for this slate. Are, are there any other guys you're looking at a running back, Andrew, anything you disagree or agree with me on in terms of those guys uh, before we move on to wide receiver?
1: I liked your take with Joe Mixon. I think that's a very good play there as well. So I would definitely get, I can get behind um, playing Joe Mixon against the Ravens. And I think, you know, the Ravens definitely, they look like a dominant team. They've been, you know, uh, blowing teams out, um, whether it's the Chargers or whatnot, but one thing about the Ravens is they stack up well against teams that don't have a great run defense. Cincinnati has a very good run defense, and I think that could cause problems with the Ravens, with Latavius Murray being out. They're very adamant about running the ball. So I could see the game script going into one where Cincinnati's trying to control the clock, um, run the ball, and you know get Mixon involved a lot too. Another game where the Ravens had trouble with was with Indianapolis. Indianapolis had a very good run DNOs and until the Ravens opened up their passing attack where they started getting success against the Colts. So I could see a similar type of games game script, except compared to the Colts, the Bengals are a lot more balanced. So this could be a game that's a, a lot closer than what we think. And typically when games are close like that and the, maybe the total is a little bit lower the running backs tend to generate more points so i like your take there for sure and as far as the chalkier plays henry's going up against a very weak kansas city run d his price tag is very expensive at 9200 you're going to need him to generate uh, over 30 points at minimum for him to be worth that salary but um you know you can't deny how great he has he's been he he scored more than um, three touchdowns in the past two games, if he keeps that kind of pace, I mean, he's definitely worth his salary. So that's definitely one of the chalkier plays that I would consider.
0: Yeah. And and you know, the funny thing about Henry is that like, we, we always assume he's going to be chalky, but the salary is so high. And sometimes people at these days in the DFS ecosystem, like people are trying to outsmart themselves, like quote unquote galaxy brain themselves, where, Derek Henry, Andrew. If you look, he's one, two, three, four, five, six. He's the eighth highest projected own running back on the slate. So, like right now, establishedrun again with the DraftKings ownership projections, they have Josh Jacobs, Daryl Williams, Miles Sanders, Hubbard, Swift, Fournette, Henderson all listed above him. If if Henry's yep. only coming in at sixteen percent ownership, like man, like that's when I want to play Derek Henry. So. If if it's between me, like, hey, I want to get one chalky running back in my lineup, and it's between Henderson, Fournette, and Henry, those are my top three guys just in terms of overall ceiling. Uh, Derrick Henry has by far the lowest ownership projected of those, of those guys. Like, that to me is like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so excited about that. Uh, and then the one guy, I knew I forgot to mention one of the low-owned guys. I missed it in my notes here. But I don't know. How do we not play James Conner? at like sub one percent ownership when the Cardinals are favored by like 49 points in this game right like obviously that's a little bit of an exaggeration but if the Cardinals DST is projected to be like 34 percent owned like that's the ultimate chalk we'll talk about that when we get to the last segment but if people are so into the Cardinals D like why are they not into James Conner? I I think we had so so much like negative public perception around Connor and how bad that Steelers run game was last year. Like people have still not warmed up to the idea. Like, look, chase Edmonds, like he's not a hundred percent. And the Cardinals have shown over the last few weeks, like they will not ride Edmonds into the ground, a smaller body, yet a more explosive player that they're going to need in the passing game in the future when these games get a little more competitive, but we don't expect this game to be competitive. Last week we saw James Connor's underlying usage. his snaps went up in consecutive weeks to 55 percent. even round even ra- ran a route on 35% of dropbacks and we're seeing a huge advantage for the Arizona Run game. And if last week same thing happened like they got they got into a blowout with the with the Browns, which a lot of us didn't expect, but they did and Chase Edmonds, I don't know if he saw a single single snap more than like a third of the way through the third quarter. So if we see that pay out, I mean, it it could be a huge game for Connor where he gets 20 carries and maybe multiple touchdowns for sub 1% ownership. Like sign me up all day for that in GPPs this week.
1: I'm with you. If Arizona is up and they're projected to, you know, blow the Texans out of the water, if they're, if they have a big lead, they're not going to put Edmonds out there to grind the clock out. That's Connor's duty. And we've seen that in the game, you know, they they've, um, Been in games where they've blown teams out before, and that's where Connor literally comes in. But even if the game's close, I mean, we've seen the Cardinals turn to Connor at the goal line. I mean, we've seen Edmonds get vultured a couple times there. You know, I think between the two, I see more talent with Edmonds, but he is he has a smaller frame, so he probably they probably are trying to limit his touches, keep him healthy. And when it comes down to just grinding the clock out, they're going to turn to Connor for sure.
0: Yeah. You know, it's in previous weeks, we were ranking Edmonds and season long fantasy, like weekly rankings. Like we were putting Edmonds like near the top 10 and for good reason, like he's had more target volume in the passing game than almost every single running back in the league. But this is not where it's going to happen. Like you said, they're not going to run him into the ground. And this is, this is why you have a guy like Connor. And then you add to the fact that even Kyler Murray, his design rush attempts have gone down. His scrambles have gone down. He was a little nicked up last week or the coming into last week. So let's, let's say they want to play it safe. They want to preserve maybe two of their best, probably their two best runners on the team are Kyler and chase Edmonds. They want to preserve these guys a little bit and get them back to hundred percent. When the season starts moving along and the playoffs, you know, scenarios start getting real and the division title hopes start getting real Then you know again this could be a game where where James Conner just goes off because of just a you know monster type of volume. So at one point three percent projected ownership to me that that's a screaming value uh, for Week Seven. But I'm glad we were able to go back and forth a little bit on that uh, talking about running backs here. Um, Surprisingly for me, like you know DeAndre Swift, Leonard Fournette, Chuba Hubbard, like I like those guys. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, you know, they're, they're all border, uh, bordering 20% projected ownership. That's a little bit too high for me for guys that like aren't necessarily like those Derrick Henry, uh, you know, type of mold running backs. And then to me, Miles Sanders, I just want to mention this once because we're talking about guys we like. I want to talk about a guy I don't like this week for season long fantasy. He's a he's a, is a decent RB 2 don't get me wrong. But Miles Sanders at 17 and a half percent projected ownership like that's chalk that I want to fade at running back this week. Like I do not want to play. If if Miles Sanders is coming in that highly owned off of doing absolutely nothing for this team, uh, you know, the Eagles have shown like they do not have a run game in place. And people are looking at the couple explosive runs they saw Miles Sanders have in an Island primetime game last Thursday against the Bucs. And like, Oh, Sanders did that against the Bucs defense. Um, I'm I'm on Sanders under rushing yards this week. I bet under 65 and a half. And even if he gets a a decent amount of carries, like this isn't the type of team that wants to feed their running backs carries out of the backfield. And I think that the the Raiders defense is going to do enough to make the Eagles have to drop back and throw the ball as well. So to me, that's chalk that I want to fade is miles Sanders coming in at 17 and a half percent. Just as I mentioned with the Cardinals defenses, that that's going to be when we talk about fading when we get to the DST section. But, uh, Let's move on to wide receiver, Andrew. I think we had a good discussion there on the RBs for tournament plays on DraftKings this week. Um, what are some of the best values you're looking at for tournaments on uh, DraftKings this week at wide receiver? I know I mentioned Adams earlier in terms of stacking him with Rodgers. He's the most expensive. You've got Tyree Kill at 8600 and Cooper Cup at 8400. So the three, the only three receivers that are plus 8000 salary on the board are those three guys, and I think for good reason. Anyone in the upper tier you're looking at, there's there's two guys above seven thousand, which are DeAndre Hopkins and DJ Moore. Then you start looking at a lot of guys listed in the six thousand, five thousand dollar range. Or is there anyone super cheap you're looking at as well? Give me your give me your thoughts on wide receiver for this week.
1: I do like Hopkins this week, and this is another revenge sort of game with Texans coming into town. Now, unlike Stafford, you make a good point where the revenge factor was more towards um McVay trying to prove his point and say that he made the I mean like prove that Stafford was the right choice over golf I think with Hopkins he left the Texans on bad terms so I think that you know the, the game is probably going to be a little lopsided there but I could see the uh, Cardinals try to feed Hopkins early and get him a couple touchdowns just so um, you know he scores on his former team so I do like that play a lot and it's not a very popular play on DraftKings right now. So he costs seventy seven hundred, as you said. He's owned by I think about one percent of lineups. So I think that's a really good value play there. The game could end up being, a, the game script could end up being one where they're running with Connor a lot. There is that risk, but with one percent owned and getting a receiver like Hopkins with the revenge factor on the table, I'll take that. Cheaper plays that I like, I like Jalen Waddle this week, $5,900. I think that's a pretty good deal. He's only owned by 7% of lineups as of right now. A lot of people are high on the Falcons going into the Miami game. And I will say this, Matt Ryan did look better over the past couple weeks going up against bad passing defenses in Washington and the Jets. But Miami is a little bit stronger. And I don't think that the Falcons are necessarily the type of team to be road favorites. So I could see Tua and Waddle being a really nice combo there. The Falcons secondary has its own, has really big issues. So we've seen Tua lock onto Waddle before. So I like that play a lot. I think it's a pretty um, cheap play. And also a cheap stack as well. Tua, I know this is circling back to quarterbacks, but I wanted to just throw it out there. Tua is going for 5500 right now in less than about 6.3% of the lineup. So if you stack him with Waddle, the Falcons' defense is really nothing to brag about. So if they can get going against them, you could have a pretty effective stack for a very cheap price. So that's a cheap stack that I like. If you want to go play the chalk with Henry, Perhaps you can go for the ceiling there and go with Tool and Waddle. Last guy I want to mention before I kick it back to you, Chris, uh, is Darnell Mooney. I really like this play at $5,000. It's, um, I think he's about in 15% of lineups. So a little bit more than I would like to see in a tournament play. But the reason why I like him is, Fields seems to favor him. A lot of targets are going his way, but the way that you beat the Buccaneers is by passing on them. They have a ton of injuries on their secondary. So I don't think that they're going to be able to protect Fields in the sense that they'll try to, you know, run the ball a lot because I don't know if they're going to be that effective against that Tampa Bay D line. They're going to have to pass a lot. And with all the injuries there, I think that there could be some value with the Fields-Mooney connection. So I like where things are headed with the way that Fields is targeting Mooney. You can grab him for $5,000, which really isn't a big deal in uh, the grand scheme of things. So those are the three plays that I'm looking at at receiver this week.
0: Yeah, I I like the Waddle call, especially if his ownership is going to be kept in check because you have Devontae Parker coming back. It's possible that we also get Preston Williams back into the lineup. So we could be seeing multiple pass catchers work their way back into the lineup. But you can't deny the chemistry that Tua and Jalen Waddle have dating back to their college days at Alabama. And Mike Gisicki has been playing mostly as like a slot receiver in this offense as well. And when you look at Mike, that was actually one of the stacks that I put when we give out our DFS top plays and rankings uh, for our premium subscribers. Like I put in my top stacks of the week and one of the stacks I had to force in there. There's a lot of viable. This is the week so far, you know, seven weeks through the year. I think this week, despite so many teams on by, we have so many like clear cut, like big time stacks on by with Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb, with Josh Allen, Diggs and Sanders, etc., I think there are a lot of viable stacking options on the board, and I wouldn't mind throwing a double stack in there of uh, Tua, Waddle, and Mike Gesicki. Mike Kosicki is a guy who's at sub, you know, sub five thousand dollars salary for a tight end, so not too cheap, but not too expensive at the same time. And he's shown the ceiling with Tua last year when he gets those opportunities so that he can be a big producer and when you talk about what Waddle can do we saw his ceiling last week with scoring touchdowns with racking up receptions on DraftKings like he's a guy that could still get get you the 100 yard bonus on DraftKings too if a couple plays go his way with his yards after the catch ability so uh, i i do Absolutely. I, I i do like that thought process there where like the, those guys coming back for Miami are going to limit the the growth that Waddle can see in his ownership projections for this week um You know, when you look at the top of the board with wide receivers, the highest-owned guy right now is going to be Chris Godwin. And it it makes sense because Antonio Brown was ruled out a couple days ago. Uh, The Bears are known as, like, a a quote-unquote slot funnel defense. So, unfortunately, like, Chris Godwin, you know, great cash game play. We're not talking cash game plays here on this podcast. We're talking about tournament plays where, you know, you can fit. I I prefer – I think you agree with me for the most part, Andrew, is, like, if we're going to play some chalk in our lineup, I think we want that to be like guaranteed volume chalk with certain running backs. Like I'm willing like Henry, like Henry, right? Like at 16% too, it's not even that big of a chalk, but you know, I I'd be much more willing to eat the Cooper cup chalk or the Devonte Adams chalk at 23, 19% as opposed to 23 and a half percent for Godwin playing with a quarterback. Who's like the complete opposite of a quarterback who likes to lock in on one receiver. Like we've seen Stafford lock in, with Cooper cup, like we've seen Rogers lock in with Devonte Adams, even Brandon cooks and Calvin Ridley. Like I was on Ridley earlier in the week. I like his player prop over. We gave out, I believe it was 67 and a half 68 and a half. And I still like it. But uh, the fact that Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are back in the mix. Um, I, I don't love it as much as I did earlier in the week. And especially in DFS, I think 17% for Calvin Ridley is way too high. I mean, the talent is obviously elite, but Matt Ryan, I don't know if I trust him. Uh, to be able to consistently get the ball to a certain player in this offense. And this could be a game where Cordero Patterson is featured as a receiver, even though Russell Gage is back because, I, as I mentioned before, like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are going to be very busy defending uh, Kyle Pitts and, and Calvin Ridley. So it's going to be interesting to see how the target share winds up working out for Atlanta because of that. We're seeing steam on ownership for Rashad Bateman. Like I'm not playing Bateman at all in tournaments, like 15.5% for a rookie in his second game. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not doing it. Uh, I'd rather play Marquise Brown as as a pivot off him, who's going to be way less owned, who has a track record of having a high ceiling in a game where we see some back and forth between the Bengals and the Ravens, like Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews coming in at what sub sub 10% ownership. Like that could be an extremely high ceiling that we saw pop off just two weeks ago against the Colts in prime time. So um, those are some of my overall thoughts. One guy I really like, and, and if the ownership's only going to be at about 15% uh, to me, Sterling Shepard is like a guy that I think is going to be a great play. I mean, if if I'm playing cash games this week, like I'm locking Sterling Shepard into my lineups overall, I have him as a top 13 wide receiver in my season long rankings. I'm actually highest on Shepard compared to the expert consensus rankings across the industry. Uh, I used him as my, as my poster boy for my fantasy rankings article this week, because I'm highest on him compared to anyone else in like the top 25 range for wide receiver ones and wide receiver two. So I, I do like him a lot, especially the fact that Darius Slayton might be back, but he's got a hamstring issue and he's still listed as questionable at, at this t- current time of recording here. So um, those are just some of my overall thoughts across the board. I think for me, like I'm always trying to focus on stacking uh, correlated uh, game pieces. So like certain game environments, like I mentioned the Mahomes double stack with Kelsey and Tyree Hill. I mentioned Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. I, I like the Stafford and Cup and bringing that back with a second piece on the Rams, whether it's Woods, Higby, or even Henderson, for that matter, in a potential blowout there. So those are some of the guys I like. Uh, in terms of sub-10% ownership, guys, I mean, Jamar Chase, like right right there next to, uh, to Joe Mixon, 8.8% projected ownership right now. He's a guy that, he's had a long reception of 37-plus yards in every single game this year. Like, we won that prop last week pretty easily. That was one of my favorite props on the board. But, you know, do, do we just bet it again until it doesn't hit? Because, I mean, the Ravens, they've been okay on defense, but they haven't been, like, world beaters by any means. And with T. Higgins back in the lineup, like, that's going to be another guy that defenses have to account for. So I think Jamar Chase, like, a, you know, huge ceiling, obviously, with the talent. Do the Ravens try to take him away like they tried to take Tyreek Hill away a few weeks ago? I don't know if Chase has earned that respect from a team like the Ravens to game plan their entire defense around him for a given week yet. Like maybe, but you know, it's at at sub 10% ownership for his ceiling. I I think it's a great value play there too. Uh, And then, you know, I had Allen Robinson on my list uh, because he saw the most unrealized air yards in the league last week. Like when fields did take shots down the field, he was taking a lot of shots towards Allen Robinson. Personally, for me, I'm not playing any bears guys because I believe that situation is going to amount to what we saw in week six, where, the pass rush was too much from the Bucs. Despite them having a banged up secondary, I get it. Uh, we saw what the Eagles offense, they could not get the ball downfield. And I think every single under in the passing game and the receiving game for the Eagles wind up going under in that game. Because of that, and I don't trust Nagy to let Fields drop back and sling it you know, 35, 40-plus times in this game. I think they're going to try to grind it out as much as they can. Uh, only other guy that I have on my list here in terms of wide receivers, low ownership, under – Under 5%, um, Terry McLaurin's right on that border, I think is a great bring back piece in the Washington football uh, team and Green Bay Packers game, 5.6. I mentioned Marquise Brown right now projected for 3.9% ownership. That's way too low for a guy like Marquise Brown, especially coming off a down game and all the hypes around the rookie now. Marquise Brown has the same exact role that he's had all season long. So I really like him a lot. Um, And then DeAndre Hopkins, you mentioned it, man. Like right now projected 1% ownership. Um, I mean, they're going to force team him a touchdown, at least one in this game. Question is, like, how much volume does he get? I could see him. You could see him get two, three touchdowns in the first half, and then the second half they're just feeding the ball to James Conner the entire time. So, those are right. some of the those are some of the plays that stand out to me. Last guy I'll mention here, and I'll, and I'll kick it back to you before we move on to tight end Andrew is uh, Henry Ruggs. Right now is projecting for zero point five percent ownership, and uh, the Eagles are not immune to giving up the big play. We saw Tyree Kill have his best game of the season. 184 receiving yards just a couple of weeks ago against this defense. And people mentioned uh, a couple people mentioned me on Twitter. They're like, someone asked about, Oh, would you start? I think it was between rugs and Allen Robinson. I was like, I'm starting rugs. He's like, Oh, well, what do you think about the shadow matchup with Darius? Slay? I'm like, well, first of all, when it comes to shadow matchups, Darius Slay is not going to be on rugs the entire game, every single snap and the Eagles, you know, what you want to focus on with rugs is who are the safeties, because Ruggs more often than not is going to be schemed up to get really deep on the field, and if he can beat the safety, then he's going to have the big play. So, with his type of big play ability in this type of game with a healthy point total, man, at sub one percent ownership, this game's projected for forty-eight and a half points. Uh, Raiders projected to score between three to four touchdowns. I, I love the big playability of Henry Ruggs at home at that ownership level. I, I think it's a great play. Um, and it, it's just the fact that the Eagles have one of the worst uh, safety units in the league, despite having some decent cornerbacks. So I think that's a really sneaky matchup we can take advantage. There's a few articles out there in the industry that mention Rugs having a downgrade at wide receiver DB, which I think is really going to suppress that number. I don't see that creeping above even two and a half, three uh, percent. That's someone I definitely want to have exposure to in in the handful of GPP lineups that I build this week. So anybody that I missed, Andrew, anyone you agree? Disagree, let me know before we move on to tight end.
1: I think you really hit it on the head ahead there, uh, was thorough. One thing I wanted to bring up before we do move on to tight end is we talked earlier about, you know, um, in tournament plays, how going with the chalk, sometimes you have to do it. But other times, if you fade the chalk and you're correct, that is a huge advantage in tournament games. so uh, the example that i wanted to bring up was last week we were seeing everybody put their uh um put kareem hunt in their lineup i think you know early in the week it was like close to 40 uh, percent uh ownership projection and then it ended up maybe closer to like 50 50 so for the teams that didn't play kareem hunt i mean it was such a huge advantage for them because you know they got a leg up on half the competition right there, so that's something to keep in mind when you look at a guy like Chris Godwin, who has twenty three and a half percent of uh, he's in twenty three and a half percent of lineups. Like that's really something to consider because if you do get that right by not starting him, that's a really big advantage in a contest like this.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. And just to finish up wide receiver, uh, you know, we have listed in our DFS top plays on our premium section of of the best wide receiver values under 5,000. I mean, I just want to rattle off some names. These are guys where we can plug in as part of correlated stacks or or as one-off pieces who are going to help us save money to spend ups to some of the guys we want to get like a Devontae, like a Cooper Cup or a Tyree Kill, et cetera. Um, Quez Watkins is a guy with big play potential in that Raiders Eagles game, which actually is scoring right now for us is like one of the potential ceiling type of games for each offense individually, uh, because we're looking at two, you know, mediocre defenses at best where I think we could see a lot of dropbacks for passes in this game. So I think Quez Watkins like he's the clear number two receiver. He surpassed Jalen Rager over the last few weeks in almost every statistical category you want to look at. He led the team in receiving against Tampa Bay. I believe he was actually the only Eagles offensive player who went over on his receiving yards prop for that game. He's only at thirty nine hundred. And then if you talking about Stafford, Andrew, like you know, we all we, we all we we already talked about Cooper Cup being the chalk, right? So who's the second piece? We want to double stack this game and really double down on the Rams. Uh, you know, you obviously could do Robert Woods. He, he's projected modest ownership, not too high, not too low. Um, but Van Jefferson, 3500, and then Deshaun Jackson at 3400. I mean, these are these are more like the millie maker type of lineups where, like, one of these guys pops off and scores a long touchdown, they're going to be doubling the value of the salary you're getting them at. So, I think that if you're buying into the to the shootout potential, at least from Los Angeles' side. You definitely want to keep those two guys in mind as salary savers with really high ceilings attached to a really explosive quarterback. I believe the Lions are giving up the most expected yards per play to receivers and to quarterbacks on dropbacks this season out of all thirty-two defenses in the league. Uh, and then I mentioned earlier with the Bucks, um, you know, Jalen Johnson's an up-and-coming defensive back for the Bears who's done a very good job when shadowing other wide receivers this year. He held Devonte Adams in check. He's held some other notable wide receivers in check. Um, He's most likely going to be on Mike Evans this entire game. And I'm not saying Mike Evans can't get loose, but when you have Chris Godwin catching, you know, close to 25% ownership, then you have Mike Evans possibly having one of the toughest matchups in the entire league this week, looking at a guy who's filling in this a third wide receiver. The last time Tyler Johnson filled in for Antonio Brown, uh, the Bucks played the Rams. That was the game they lost. And he had six targets in that game. So if we're getting a guy who's getting six targets with Tom Brady at three thousand dollars, that's definitely a place that I want to look for a salary saver with a potential high ceiling. And then the last guy I'll mention off off a uh, pivot off the chalk with like, hey, rookie, rookie wide receiver Rashad Bateman's catching a lot of ownership and steam this week. Uh Nico Collins is coming off a game where he had his first game back from injury. He's the second receiver for the Texans that if the Texans are going to be losing this entire game, you know, 17 and a half point underdogs and everyone's going to be on Brandon Cooks and Rashad Bateman, why not play Nico Collins, who like might get no attention from the Arizona defensive backs in this game. He could wind up getting double digit targets himself. I wouldn't be surprised to see that. So when it comes to fading the chalk, like you mentioned, I'll I'll finish on this for the wide receiver position is like Nico Collins at 3,200 compared to Rashad Bateman at 3,400. Okay, the, the salaries seem the same. On the surface, but when you look at the projected ownership levels, like if Rashad Bateman has a down game and everyone's on him, and then Collins has a big game at that price and no one's on him, you're ascending the leaderboard in your given contest by so many, you know, by so many points just based off that one ownership leverage type of decision alone. So those to me are not just the cheapest guys you want to take advantage of, but the cheapest guys who are coming with low ownership, who have decent usage underlying usage numbers and and solid ceilings in these realistic type of game strips that are going to play out. So that's my final thoughts there. Um, let's move on to tight end, Andrew. Who is your favorite play at tight end? Is it Kelsey? Is it Waller? Or are you looking uh, further down the board for your tight end plays this week for tournaments?
1: So for tight ends this week, I like playing the chalk. I love Waller's matchup against the Eagles. They're giving up a ton of yards to tight ends. And I think this is a game where potentially we could see Waller have, um, you know, some monster targets, monster numbers. So I could see Waller having a very good game and being worth his expensive salary. He's at 6700 right now, and I think he's the third most owned uh, tight end. So definitely a play on the chalkier side, but nevertheless, I think lots of explosion potential there. On the more medium-tier play, and this guy's also um, considered chalk, but I still like him as well, and he's the tight end on the other side of the Vegas Eagles game, Dallas Goddard. uh, We all saw the news last week where tight end Zach Ertz got traded to the Arizona Cardinals, leaving Goddard as the sole tight end in Philly. Hertz and Goddard have a really good connection going with each other, and if you didn't want to spend 6,700 on the tight end position, Goddard could be that more median tiered um, player that could have some explosion potential there as well, he'll definitely get his targets with Ertz being out now, and I could see that being a really good play for uh, for DFS lineups, and before kicking it back to you, Chris, one guy that I really like this week that's on the cheap side, and I'm going to need your help enunciating his name because he plays for your Bengals, CJ Uzma, $3,000. Uh, uh, his salary is 3000 right now. He's in, I think, 1.5% of lineups. He is a really athletic tight end. He's got some crazy agility. I I really enjoy watching him. He doesn't get a ton of volume all the time, but I think uh, maybe two weeks ago or whatnot, he had a six catch game for 98 yards and two touchdowns so that he has a pretty high ceiling and I could see him sort of getting uh turned loose in Baltimore when a lot of the attention might go to Jamar Chase T Higgins as you were saying that could free up someone like Uzma and he's a cheap play too so this is a boomer bust you know not a lot of people are going to be on him at one and a half percent but the ceiling's there and I think that could be a really good uh tournament play
0: yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. If you're and if if you're looking, I mean, look at Lamar Jackson could be the highest on quarterback, but if you're pairing him with Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews, who are both projected sub ten percent, and then your bring back piece is Uz- Uzoma on the Bengals side of things, I try, I'm like seventy percent sure it's Uzoma, but thirty <laughs> percent of me has no idea how the hell to say that guy's last name, so it's probably going to vary from broadcast to broadcast, Andrew.
1: Yeah, I feel for him. I have a, a similar problem.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so like Andrew D, or, you know, for the people who want to kind of, you know, dip their toe in the water, Andrew Duhan, but we don't want to get into the full, we, we I kind of butchered that <laughs> on on the first podcast last week, introducing you anyway, so, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I got to go back
1: to last week to, uh, <laughs> to hear the full last name, but not we'll, like, we'll hey, not, not
0: like my boy, TJ Hushmanzada though, that, that that's the ultimate last name right there, but.
1: That, that's that's a beautiful last name
0: yeah that's another story for another day we talked too many bangle stories on the podcast that i'm on throughout the week so yeah man you know i'm not gonna play him because i i think that uzoma did he scored a touchdown last week right
1: i'm not entirely sure if he scored last week or two weeks ago I think um yeah.
0: yeah i would just yeah i'm just, I'm just double checking that right now because i i think uzoma for me like Let's see. yeah he scored a touchdown you're right today. he did score last yeah, week three catches yep. and a touchdown so I don't know for me like his usage is so low like you said like if he scored a touchdown then I, I don't I really want to bet on him not scoring multiple weeks in a row with a touchdown so that, that's my only hesitation there although I mean look you nailed the pick last week that was a great call your, your kind of you know bargain basement tight end was Mo Alley Cox he winds up scoring a touchdown it was his only catch of the game. But you talk about a red zone threat with a size at the tight end position. I mean, you don't get any bigger in terms of physical size than Mo Alley Cox. And look, it's a great point to where the Ravens scheme to stop the wide receivers, um, you know, and don't forget about Tyler Boyd. I'm not playing him, but the Ravens have funneled slot targets and yards more than any other wide receiver through their defense this year. And no one's playing Boyd coming off of, you know, I think it was like seven, yards or something crazy low that he put up uh last week he had he wanted to finish him with three targets one catch for seven yards so um you know he's a guy where like you want to get an edge up on the field if you want to hitting on him in that game uh that could pay off some big dividends i'm not going there personally i think he's just the odd man out uh because t higgins have, hasn't even gotten going yet either but um that's my overall thoughts there when it comes to just top to bottom at tight end for me andrew um You know, the fact that Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller, like you mentioned you like the chalk with Darren Waller. The ownership projections are very spread out at tight end. So I don't don't know if we can actually call any of these guys chalk. Even Mike Gesicki and Ricky Seals-Jones, the top two projected owned guys, like they're still sub-15%. Like to me, when I think of chalk, like it's when you're getting to 15% or maybe a little bit higher. Kelsey's at 10%. I mean, Mark Andrews a couple spots down at eight percent. TJ Hawkinson at six percent. Like those two guys, to me, stand out the most is Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson. You know, last week the Ravens did not need to throw because I I think it was more the Chargers having a down game going on a a cross country road trip than it was the Ravens defense just taking it to another level, and that gave us suppressed box score numbers for guys like Mark Andrews. Lamar Jackson passing and Marquise Brown and we're seeing those ownership uh those have gone down a lot just in one week where we, we were seeing them as like I think Mark Andrews last week uh was like one of the chalkiest tight end plays on the slate so yeah I think you know although I do think this will be I, I, I'm not going to bet the over in this game but I still think there can be enough production on both sides of the ball to where if you're getting Andrews at eight percent ownership at like you know what is he the seventh um, most owned guy in the slate. Like he's kind of middle of the pack there. I, his ceiling is not middle of the pack. That's for sure. Uh, and then TJ Hawkinson as well in, in a game where the lions could be dropping back to pass like 40 times playing as massive underdogs in this game. Those are, those are a couple places I want to look to. Um, one guy that I put on my list that like, I'm not crazy about this play. Don't get me wrong. But again, we're talking tournament plays, not cash game plays here. Um, a guy who I think is not going to get played at all is, uh, Robert Tunyon and mm-hmm. Robert Tunyon done nothing this year. Like, let me just, pre- I know that he's done nothing this year, but Aaron Rodgers against the NFL's worst secondary, he's got Devonte Adams. And the thing about the Washington football team is they actually have a top five run defense. So I think Aaron Jones could be a sneaky play just based on that alone, because he does catch a lot of pass out of the backfield, but there's a non-zero chance that Tunyon could be the second wide receiver. And we saw him last year. Like he he could catch a lot of touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. He's just had regression hit his way very hard this season after scoring way more touchdowns than he should have gotten last year. But in this type of game with this type of matchup, he catches two touchdowns at $3,500 at 2% ownership. And you're stacking him with a chalky piece in Devontae Adams then, then you could be really, you know, you could be really playing with something in your lineup there that could really ascend the leaderboards quickly. So he's, he's the one guy at, at sub 5% ownership that I think could be a solid play. Um, you know, I'm surprised to me looking that like John U. Smith is projected to be lo- higher owned than Hunter Henry. I know there's a big difference in the salary, but Johnny Smith's done absolutely nothing this year. I could see either one of those two tight ends popping off for a touchdown. They're both used around the red zone a lot in that offense. Uh, and then the one the one guy I want to finish on, I'm saving the best for last year. Andrew is Kyle Pitts. Uh, I know we talked about him potentially lining up against Byron Jones uh, in, in this game, but Kyle Pitts possesses like a lead upside that maybe only four or five other tight ends can can have. And he's listed he's he's listed right now at sub one percent ownership, zero point five percent. If he's going to have that type of ownership level. At a modest price tag, fifty nine hundred. I mean, I almost feel like I have to have a couple lineups with him in it. Uh, maybe it's a bring back. You know, we're talking about you want to stack Tua and Jalen Waddle, and either use your tight end to correlate that stack with Micah Kosicki or hey, Mike Siki right now the highest projected on tight end on the slate. You know, why are we thinking? Why are we? Why are we th- thinking like that when Parker's coming back, and then Kyle Pitts on the other side is like one of the lowest projected on tight ends on the slate? That doesn't really make sense to me. So I'd much rather play Kyle Pitts than Mike Kosicki in tournaments this week because of that. Um, And then I agree with you, Darren Waller, you know, bounce back, buy low candidate in season-long fantasy. Uh, The fact he's, you know, only 11%, I think that's a decent ownership uh, level to get him in with the ceiling that he has. Uh, But to me, I think I'm either going to go all the way near the top with Travis Kelsey and just eat the price tag on him uh, or go all the way down to to Mark Andrews or to Kyle Pitts. I think I want to play the guys with the massive ceiling, and try to take advantage of some um, of some you know suppressed ownership levels for them here in uh, in week seven. So that's my overall thoughts on tight end. Uh, anything else you want to add before we uh, finish it off with defense, Andrew?
1: I love that idea of playing Kyle Pitts as the bring back piece. So if we're looking at a lineup with Tua and Waddle again, cheap stack there. Have the bring back uh, piece with Pitts. You know if Tua and Waddle go are, you know, really generating a lot of points, that means the Falcons are probably going to have to throw the ball a lot. So that means that Pitts has to get going there. So I think that's a really good combo. And if it's not Pitts, you know, earlier in the show, we discussed Cordero Patterson. I think he's a fine throwback piece for that game too.
0: Yeah, and I I really love the prop on Patterson. I don't know if it's moved since we gave it out to our subscribers, but that was the first prop I gave out this week was – quarterback Patterson over 39 and a half receiving yards. He smashed that number, I believe in like four straight weeks now. And I don't think that Russell Gage coming back into the lineup is going to change anything. Even in the last game that Russell Gage played, I believe Patterson had close to 60 receiving yards. And with the attention that Xavier Howard and and Byron Jones, like they're going to be on Pitts and Ridley, and that's going to leave Patterson open to roam the middle of the field. So I love the prop on pad would probably play that up to at least 45 yards uh, as a player prop, but you can listen to our money picks player prop podcast. It's on our podcast feed, listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, Google play, et cetera. Uh, on Saturday, by the time you listen to this, sometimes Saturday afternoon, we're going to have our money picks written recap where, uh, one of our contributors, Mike D'Angelo, uh, he helps us out with some research behind the scenes. He goes through and does a written recap of all the player props that Sleepy And I talk about on the money picks podcast. So stay tuned for that as well. Um, Just some housekeeping things before we wrap it up here with DST. Uh, We've got a lot of new content on the site for week seven for NFL. Steve Reeder has his power ratings and best bets. He has his look ahead lines for week eight. He's looking ahead already earlier in week seven to week eight lines when they get released by the books to see what type of edge we can get in the market before the public starts to flood to those bets. And speaking of the public flooding to make bets, uh, Andrew here, does a really good job of doing his sharps vs squares report where he looks at all the ticket versus money counts by the numbers. That article is has been now live as of Friday night. Uh, so go ahead to bettingpredators.com. We've got a ton of free content on the website right now. In addition to my fantasy rankings, where I rank the top 250 players, you can sort by position, by scoring format, uh, you know, all across the board. So we do that every single week. We have DFS articles on the site as well. And if you want access to our, our private subscriber discord, you can get access to that by being a premium subscriber. Uh, we're going to be offering some, uh, uh, we're going to be offering some price package deals now that we're almost halfway through the regular season so we can get a bargain and a value, uh, for our season long in season package, uh, for our premium content. So we're doing a lot of stuff every week, a lot of stuff for free, but a lot of our most valuable stuff is behind the paywall as well. So we we want to make sure we get you into that too. Um, but anyways, moving on to DST here, Andrew, let's finish off the podcast here. Um, we talked about Arizona, you know, 33.7% projected ownership. To me, like, like anytime you see that next to a DST in a tournament, you want to fade the chalk 100%. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, next to the five fade the chalk tournament plays that I listed on my on my DFS premium article was uh, Cardinals, Miles Sanders, Calvin Ridley, Rashad Bateman, and Darnell Mooney, just because Mooney is at 15%. And I just don't trust Fields to be able to throw the ball against this Buccaneers pass rush. Uh, but let's, let's stick to DST for me. There's quite a few defenses here right around five, 6% or less that have some pretty decent upside. Um, who are you looking at first? Cause I, I got a couple guys. Let guys. Why don't you give out your favorite plays and I'll kind of fill in the gaps here to maybe be something you didn't miss that I really like for this week.
1: So for me, I think the play to go with this week is the Carolina Panthers They're currently at 3,500, and they're in about 1.3% of lineups, so definitely a great tournament play. Reason why I like Carolina, Danny Dimes is not the same QB without Saquon Barkley, without Kenny Galladay. He's not going to have the weapons required to really put up a fight against the Panthers. Now, the Panthers' offense has also had their own struggles. Sam Darnold got off to a really hot start, and as of late, he sort of regressed towards the mean. But I think against the weaker Giants defense, we could see him do a little bit better. Carolina could control the game flow in that game. So I love playing Carolina in this game. I know that their defense is actually a little bit more on the pricier side, especially when you look at Arizona at $3,100. That's... That's a pretty cheap price going up against the Texans. But again, as you said, 33.7%, even though it's a good play, just like how Kareem Hunt last week seemed like a great play going up against a a weak run defense, no Nick Chubb. But, I mean, you almost have to take that gamble and say, you know, what if that game is a little bit closer? It's their two NFL teams, and, you know, Arizona defense has been hot. But Houston – Although they did get blown out last week, I don't think they're as bad as that box score indicated. I think a lot of that was bad luck going against them. So I think they can... I don't know if it'll be a a super close game, but I don't necessarily think that uh, the Cardinals deal. There's a decent chance that they don't live up to the chalk. So I think it's pretty safe to fade them there. So I like the Panthers. The other game that I like this week too... And even though that this is a little bit more on the chalkier side, I like playing the Patriots. They're at 3,400, 13.5% owned. Um, reason why I like them, they're playing at home against um, uh, against the Jets, who are starting Zach Wilson. Wilson's an aggressive QB. He's coming off a bye week. Perhaps they're going to go in make some adjustments here and there. But, anytime you get Bill Belichick, especially at home playing a um, rookie quarterback, I, I think you have to take that. And that's probably a lot. Of, that's what a lot of people in uh, are thinking there with that chalk play. But I just think that Zach Wilson's aggression there could lead to a lot of points for the Patriots, just like how it did in their previous matchup. So those are my two uh, plays there that are, you know, slightly on the more mid to, I wouldn't call them expensive. They're pro. they're both mid-level plays, but I think both of them could be, end up doing well this week.
0: Yeah. And I think that even in, we're talking about tournaments here in cash games, you always want to try to spend down at DST as much as you can to save the salary for your expensive wide receivers that have high floors, running backs, et cetera. But you know, you can quote unquote. You know, you can pay up to be contrarian in tournaments where you want to spend four thousand dollars on the Buccaneers, coming at three point eight percent ownership with one of the best defensive lines and pass rushes against a, a guy who leads the NFL in terms of his uh, his sack rate on the year in Justin Fields. So, I think to me, like that's one advantage I really want to take uh, in this week's uh, in this week seven main slate here is the, is the Buccaneers. We saw what they could do to Jalen Hurts. Uh, You know, Justin Fields hasn't even shown the mobility that Jalen Hurts has. Maybe he's being trapped within the confines of what Matt Nagy wants to kind of disguise with the Bears have one of the worst offensive lines in the league, too. Uh, So this could be a, a matchup where the Buccaneers just tee off on the Bears offensive line and think about what the what the Browns did to the Bears just a few weeks back when Justin Fields got his first start. So I think that we could see something very similar to that. Uh, so I wouldn't be willing to spend up to be contrarian in a lineup with the Buccaneers, even pairing the Buccaneers in a lineup where I'm playing Tom Brady, because if Tom Brady scores four or five touchdowns and he, and he puts up 35 points against this bears team, that means they're going to have to drop back to pass a lot. And, and you want to play uh, defenses in those situations where the opposing quarterback is going to drop back a lot. Cause what happens on dropbacks, you have opportunities for sacks. You have opportunities for forced fumbles and then strip sacks that could be turning the touchdown. So those are some of the things that I look for in terms of you know who has the highest upside defense that I want to play. I mean, you could get really contrarian and pay up to play the Rams, but you know four thousand is almost enough for me with the Bucks. But the Rams five thousand dollars against the Lions, like they're coming out in sub one percent ownership right now. You know hardly anyone's going to play them, and the upside there is massive. Obviously, with the point spread being. What it is, uh, two more realistic, like you know, low-owned defenses that come in with modest price tags. To me, are grouped right next to each other. You mentioned the Patriots. Like, I'm gonna mention the Jets. I mean, uh, I don't think many people are gonna play the Jets. I think they might come in come in at final ownership at, at even less of what they're being projected for right now. But they still are playing against uh, Mac Jones. They're coming off a buy. They have a defensive-minded head coach in his first year. Who you know, maybe he needed a little bit of extra time to prepare. Over the bye week against an offense that he already has played against earlier in the season. I mean, when, when the Patriots and Jets played each other back in, I think it was Week Two, they only scored thirty-one points. I mean, it, it was a, it was a really slow paced type of grinded out game, and I think that we could be seeing a similar type of scenario play out here in Week Seven between these two division rival opponents. Uh, we actually see a decent edge in the pass rush net score and pass block net score for the Jets, so I think that they're going to have they're going to be able to uh, uh, keep Zach Wilson somewhat secure in the pocket. But on the other side, I think their pass rush, which is very underrated can actually get after Mac Jones a little bit in this game. So I, I like the jets, even as like a, a kind of like a sneaky streamer in uh season long leagues where you don't, you know, your defense is on a buy, you need to drop them or you're just streaming defenses week to week. And there's not many options. I think the jets are a solid option this week as are the Giants. the giants are going to be one of the chalkier plays on the slate. I also like the Eagles. Um, that's something that would caught my eye when we go through. And that's another article I forgot to mention that's live on our website right now. It, it's our executive betting summary, player prop hit list, cheat sheet, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's basically like a Google Doc that dives like 30 plus pages in. We go like three, three pages on every game of the week. Uh, we break down the PFF grades, uh, offensive line, defensive line rankings, uh, pass rate over expectation for offenses. Basically looking at what edges we can find game by game. Uh, And you can find that on bettingpredators.com right now as a free preview article. Um, When we were breaking down the numbers for that, Andrew, as you know, uh, the Philly pass rush has a plus 13 net score in this game. And that's one of the biggest advantages in terms of offensive line and defensive line. Philly has a plus 19 defensive line net rating in this game. And then they also have a plus 11 offensive line net rating. So when you look at both sides of the ball, the Eagles rank much better. They have the sixth-ranked defensive line in the league. Raiders have the 25th-ranked offensive line in the league. So if the Eagles can put a little pressure on the Raiders, where I was, tell- I was telling Sleepy about this on the, on the Player Props podcast last night, I-, I think the Eagles, people are going to overreact to how bad the Eagles looked against the Bucks. People on the mm-hmm. flip side, they're also going to overreact to how good the Raiders looked against the Broncos last week. So I think you're seeing the perfect storm here of overreactions to where these are probably two similar teams and I think the Eagles are live dogs, and because of that, if this game's competitive, I think their pass rush can get can get after Carr, who's playing behind a, a below average offensive line. So I, I like the Eagles a lot. I think they're, I'm going to sprinkle them in in quite a few lineups, being that the ownership levels are low and the price tag. The price tag's going to help me save a lot to spend up to other guys I really want to fit into my lineup.
1: Price tag is really low there at 2,300. And to circle back, I do like the Eagles in that game, just given their. Uh, Advantage on both lines, defensive and offensive line. I think they're going to really give the Raiders trouble there. But one other um, game that I wanted to circle back to was the Rams Detroit game. And, you know, Rams coming in at $5,000 of salary. That is a ton to cough up on the defensive side. I know that it's a a contrarian play at less than 1% owned, but defenses can't really live up to that price tag in most weeks. I think in the past two weeks, we've had a couple games over 4,500 last week, the Rams played um, the giants and they were priced at 4,700. They didn't live up to that price tag. And the week before the Patriots were priced at 4,900 Their uh defense and they only came up with like five fantasy points. So defenses don't really score too much so you don't want to blow too much of your budget on there you know you're hoping for a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown but the, the, even with the best defenses that th- those are more on the rare side they don't occur on every game and you don't want to pay up 5000 uh you don't want to allocate 5000 of your budget to the Rams there even though they do have a favorable matchup against Detroit and whatnot they're playing their former quarterback so they might be a little motivated to uh you uh have a really good game but i would i would lay off the Rams this week that that price tag is way too hefty for me
0: yeah no i agree with you 100 percent. If, if you're talking about like large field entries where there's like 20 entry max in a tournament i, I think you can sprinkle them in a little bit but you're sure. like you said you made you bring up a good point of being specific that you need a touchdown to pay that off uh, that that's the only way you're going to pay off a 5K salary. Round. You're looking for like minimum three X of what the salary is going to be, and that's why I like the Eagles because they're two point three thousand. And you know if they wind up getting you, let's say eight to nine points, like you're you're on you're in a really good spot. To whereas like the the Rams are going to need to get you 15 to 20, you're going to really need to hit on some cheaper options if you want to sustain your lineup. You know, picking the Rams or even the Bucks for that matter. You know, very expensive at four thousand two, but. You know, I, I I would rather, I think the Bucks actually have a higher ceiling uh, with their defensive structure and their pass rush going against a rookie quarterback uh, than the Rams do. So if you're going to pay up to be contrarian, for me, 100%, I will take more exposure on the Bucs as opposed to the Rams. But Eagles, to me, still my favorite play. Still like the Jets as well there, too. Good points by Andrew there. Uh, just one thing that I want to bring up here before we close this up, I know next week we talked about doing some segments at the end of the podcast where we uh, maybe do a head-to-head cash lineup between Andrew and myself. Maybe we each pick a Millie maker lineup that we want to throw into the pool. We're thinking about different ways to kind of structure this podcast going forward. So this is our second time doing a hundred percent strictly DFS show. So we want to continue to improve this every week. The more feedback we can get from you all on Twitter, uh, via email, you can reach us at anytime betting at gmail.com. We want to get feedback from you all who are listening, who are reading the content on the site to let us know, you know, what can we do better? But most importantly, like, what do you want us to talk about? What do you want us to write about? Because we're doing this for you all at the end of the day uh, and trying to put out the best quality, most actionable content that we can. Uh, Andrew does a really great article that I've been helping him out with a l- little bit, adding some context here and there, which we're breaking down the Millie Maker winning lineup every single week. So that's actually going to be the first article you see pop up after week seven is over is going to be our DraftKings week six recap. We're going to look at the Millie maker winning lineup and also the perfect lineup to see, you know, what are the correlated pieces, whether it's uh double stacks, single stacks, bring back options in a stack what's hitting weekend and week out that we can take insights from to, to further improve our DFS strategy from week to week in our tournaments as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about it, Andrew. I appreciate all the work you're doing, writing content for the site, jumping on here with us, and also the work you're doing behind the scenes, putting our player prop cheat sheet together and everything that we're doing with that. Now we, we got a ton of content. Again, go to bettingpredators.com. You can learn uh, all about the free content we're putting out and then the premium content that we have in our in-season package, season-long fantasy, DFS, player props, best bets, uh, you name it, everything across the board. We're putting out during the entire football season from now the end of the super bowl so anything else i forget andrew anything you want to add before we wrap this up here
1: no i think that was great we um looking forward to next week and best of luck to everyone on their lineups
0: that's right best of luck to everybody playing dfs your cash games your 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 tournament lineups your season-long matchups your player prop bets your side total bets everything like that as sleepy j says best enjoy the games peace out